Well, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. I want to make a couple of announcements before we get into the Word today. If you go to our website we, and you tab down, we actually have a fellowship finder, and I'd really like people to take advantage of that, even if you're local or you know, within the vicinity, because we're having people that are placing their um, information on there. And in the past, what, couple of weeks, we've had quite quite a lot of activity. And in fact, people are realizing that there's people just a, a state, or not even a state, a county or a city away that they didn't know about. And, and people are coming together and having fellowship and starting home groups. In fact, we've had um, under, what, three or four in the past week. So this is exciting news. So I really would would admonish you to take advantage of that, even if you're semi-local and, of course, national and internationally too, because you never know who's living next door. So again, that's up on the website, the Fellowship Finder. Pop a flag in and take full advantage of that. So... Let's um, open our scriptures. Let's turn to Bereshit, Genesis chapter 12. And if you have a notebook today, I would advise you, it may help you out, to make two columns. And in one column, put the book of the law. And the other column, entitle it the book of the covenant. Because what I hope to do today is to really button up what we've been communicating about the Malkitzedic Covenant. What I hope to do today is really, really encapsulate all of the previous teachings that I've done so that you can really have this as your go-to notes to be able to dig back into everything that has gone before. So my purpose today is to be able to encapsulate the message of the Malkitzedic in conclusion because next week... We're going to look at Hebrews, Hebraically. So, let's begin. What we do know, Malkitzedek, is this wonderful, wonderful covenant of promise. It all begins in Bereshit, Genesis chapter 12, where Yahweh meets with Avram. And he swears an oath by no one higher than himself to bless Avram and to bless his descendants. This is an unconditional covenant where man isn't involved in it at all. It's totally Yahweh. It's unconditional, which gives us security because no matter what man does in the future, we can always go back to the surety of Yahweh's promise. But Avraham goes away And he has a little bit of a question of faith. And he comes back to Yahweh and he says, How do I know that I will really inherit what you've promised me in Genesis 12? It's like now a conditional arm is going to be given to Avraham. How do I know? I need a signature guarantee. So Yahweh says to Avraham, Go and flay open these animals... And I will give you this conditional arm. This is how you'll know. So now we come to the covenant between the pieces in Genesis chapter 14. And we find that Avraham now flays open the pieces and we have a conditional covenant attachment. And this has a death penalty position attached to it, which is the flaying open of the pieces. And we know now 
that if this covenant, which now has a conditional arm attached to it, is broken, then somebody is going to have to die. That this conditional arm has to be met for you ever to be able to attach back to the ultimate promise, which was unconditional in Genesis 12. Why? Because Abraham doubted Yahweh and he said, how do I know? It's almost like somebody saying to you, and I've communicated this before, that they're going to give you a house, free and clear, title deed. You go away and you talk to some people and they say, "Ah, how do you know he's really going to do that? If I were you, I would go and get it on paper and get a signature guarantee. Because he may change his mind. So Abraham goes back to Yahweh and he does this thing. But regardless, everything is always going to be wrapped around what? The initial promise of Genesis 12. Everything is wrapped around that. That is everything. Now, 430 years later, the children of Israel, after they take the blood of the lamb, they escape Egypt. They come to the base of the mountain And the promises that were 430 years prior now are fulfilled with Moshe instituting the book of the covenant in Exodus 19. The children of Israel, everything that Yahweh says, he proposes to them. And they say, all that Yahweh has said, we will do. They accept his proposal. The covenant, the book of the covenant. The altar is sprinkled with blood. There's blood ratification. And then in Exodus chapter 24, verse 11, the elders go up and they partake of a covenant-confirming meal. This is the summation of everything that has gone before. That now they will be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests to go out and spread the Torah of Yahweh, the good news to the nations. Abraham knew and did Yahweh's law. So the law, the Torah, is everything from Genesis 1 all the way through to Exodus 24, 11. That is covenant Torah, which in that you have the feasts and festivals of Yahweh. You have the sign which connects Yahweh's people to everything that he has for them, the inheritance sign, which, of course, is the Sabbath. And within those feasts and festivals are always his what? Holy Sabbaths. You need to be the people of the sign. There's the dietary requirements. Of course, that no one knew the distinction between clean and unclean. All of this is covenant Torah. But then something happened. Israel, within 40 days, within 40 days, they decided to turn back and look at the idols and the gods of the Egyptians. And they built a golden calf and they broke the covenant. They were unfaithful and they broke the covenant. Moses smashed the tablets which were going to go in the Ark of the Covenant And Exodus chapter 24, 12, we find an imposed, not agreed to law is given to them 
because Moses mediated. Yahweh was going to slaughter Israel. And he said, Moses, I'll start a new nation with you. But Moses interceded. He became the mediator and Yahweh instituted the book of the law as a covering for Israel so that they would not be slaughtered because they broke the book of the covenant. So now the book of the law is the imposed, not agreed to law that Israel is placed under. The tutor that Paul talks about to the Galatians that is going to school them in how to live. It is Yahweh's permissive will. It is not his perfect will. Covenant Torah was Yahweh's perfect will. But they broke the covenant and the imposed book of the law was instituted. We understand, of course, that this, they were no longer going to be a nation of priests, but they would be a nation with a priest, a Levitical priest. Or a Aaronic priesthood with Levitical priests. Big difference. And animal blood was going to be shed, was going to be shed, was going to be shed. Because the blood guilt that was upon them for unfaithfulness. So now they have this whole different life. They are under a mediated, non-mediated, excuse me, imposed book of the law. And then the prophets come along once Israel is in the land. And the purpose of the prophets is to call Israel back to the book of the law because they're not even keeping the imposed book of the law. They're off whoring in the nations. They get expelled to Assyria. They get expelled to Babylon. And the purpose of the prophets was to admonish them, to call them to repentance and come back in the fence, come back under the tutor. Until what everybody had been dreaming for, for millennia, the Mashiach the Messiah, the one that would come and deliver Israel and bring them back into the perfect realm of the garden. But it would have to be an amazing, amazing supernatural feat by the right arm of Yahweh alone because no man could do it. So now we fast forward to the full expectation of John the Baptist and he sees Yeshua coming towards him and Yeshua says, that he must be immersed, mikvahed, to fulfill all righteousness. He's already been established, Matthew 2, as a king, a Malki, a Melech. And he's going to go into the waters as the king. And he's going to come up from the waters of mikvah, thus establishing all righteousness. He's going to come up from the waters as the Melki Tzedek. And we see right there, At the immersion of Yeshua, the transference of the priesthood from the Aaronic high priest, John the Baptist, to the Malkitzedic high priest, Yeshua, that is now going to do an amazing feat of redemption. And he's going to somehow connect us back to perfection, which is the Malkitzedic covenant of promise, Genesis 12. But before he does that, he's going to have to pay the death penalty position of the covenant between the pieces. Somebody's got to die. 
so that you can connect back to an unconditional covenant that will go for eternity for all his people. And they will no longer be a nation with a priest, but they will turn back and return to become a nation of priests, the Malkizedic priesthood order. So then Yeshua goes up and he's brought before Caiaphas, and we find again that he's being charged with a crime. And Caiaphas puts Yeshua under the Leviticus 5 trespass offering and he makes a vow and he says, you must tell me if you know the truth. Are you the son of man? And Yeshua says to him, it's not what you say, but I say. And he invokes, Caiaphas had invoked the trespass, law of the trespass offering. And Yeshua proclaims the truth that he is the son of man, that he is the anointed one from on high. And what does Caiaphas, the illegal high priest, do? He tears his garment, thus nullifying the Levitical priesthood. And himself, he needs to die according to the Torah because of that. Nobody that year is able to administer the Passover with the Levitical priesthood. They didn't have a Levitical high priest from that point on. Yeshua then, again, establishes before men that he is in fact the Melchizedek high priest. And they kill him. He dies. He takes the death penalty position. He's wearing the robes of the high priest. They gamble for his robes, but they won't tear his robes. Because if they did, before he'd resurrect, then they would nullify his priesthood. Heaven forbid they didn't. Miriam sees him, him, the lady sees him in the garden, and he says, do not touch me. I have not yet ascended to my father. He ascends to his father, he places his blood on the heavenly altar, and establishes the supernatural realm that has always been the shadow picture from above, the Malkizedic priesthood. It is set today for all believers to now enter into the new Malkizedic covenant which his blood has established. And he comes back before men and Thomas doubting is now able to touch him and stick his fingers in his side because the work is completed. This is the reality that has not been taught for thousands of years that we're a part of. This is the life. And the world is going to hell in a handbasket as there is lawlessness abounding amongst those that claim the name of Messiah. Caught up in lawlessness and paganism. But then on the other side of the track, people are getting into messianic Torah with Levitical hierarchy, which eventually leads to a Levitical priesthood on a so-called temple mount in Jerusalem run by a bunch of rabbis that deny the wonderful resurrected power of Yeshua. But the narrow road that leads to life is Malkizedek Covenant Torah. This is the message that is going out from this ministry and people are realizing it is a call to the royal covenant Torah which is established through the Malkizedek death penalty position of Yeshua that connects us back 
to the unconditional covenant of Genesis 12. So today, I hope that we can really, really be able to ferment this, cement this, and go and communicate this clearly to all of the people that you come in t- touch with in your life. Because I can't do it all. We do it together. And it starts with the fellowship finder. It truly does. And then from one, you pull one from a city. Or one from a town, two from a city. Or however many you want. Just pull them out and give them the message. It's truly amazing. It's truly amazing. So let's look now. If you have a notebook or you're taking notes electronically or whatever, make two columns, one for the book of the covenant, one for the book of the law, and jot down the scriptures. We understand that the book of the covenant, it contained covenanted Torah. Covenanted, meaning agreed to. They agreed to it. They covenanted to it. They agreed to it. The book of the covenant contains covenanted Torah with its proposal, acceptance, blood ratification, and covenant confirming meal. Exodus 19.5 through Exodus 24 verse 11. There is no later additions. You cannot add to a blood-ratified covenant. So when in Exodus 24, 12, Yahweh calls Moses and says, and I will give you also this law, it cannot be a part of the blood-ratified covenant. It has to be something different. The huge stumbling block for many is they have linear chronological thinking. The Torah is not chronological. Exodus chapter 16, you see that the manna is laid up beside the Ark of the Testimony. But the Ark of the Testimony isn't even made until Exodus chapter 24. There goes your chronology. Narrative is chronological. Commandments are achronological. There's a distinction that needs to be made. So when the writer of the Hebrews says... That the, under the Levitical priesthood, the people received the law. We know that the Levitical priesthood was birthed when? At the golden calf, when the imposed, not agreed to law was given. This makes sense when you understand the difference between chronological and achronological within the Torah. Because we are Hebrews. We are not Greek Roman thinkers anymore, I pray. I pray, I truly do. We're to keep the royal Torah, or what James calls the royal law, which is connected to the covenant by virtue, of course, of the sign. The sign is, and this I believe, when I speak to people, this is usually the trigger that made you start knocking down the wall of pagan tradition. What about the Sabbath? You start questioning that and the wall comes crumbling down. Because the reality is if you don't keep the Sabbath, you don't even believe in the Ten Commandments. You don't. Don't double talk me and say you're a follower of Yeshua and you don't even keep in the the Ten Commandments. Because you're not. So what is your faith? You don't even believe in the Ten Commandments. You may as well be a heathen. There is no difference. Because the heathen 
I know many heathen that are moral, decent people. It's called morality. It's the morality of man. That's the Renaissance thinking. But we're not supposed to be moral in the Renaissance mindset. We are supposed to be in covenant with Yahweh. It's a difference. Because once you start knocking down the Ten Commandments, what do you have? They're called the Ten Commandments. They're not called the Ten Suggestions. They're not called the Ten Principles. They're not the Ten Principles. And that was what was communicated to me for 10 years. Well, these are principles. Sabbath is a principle. I'd love to believe that because then I could continue on in lawlessness would have been my mindset in the church. Give me the chapter and give me the verse where it says that they're principles. It doesn't exist. It's vanity, plain vanity. So we understand why the church is buckling under the pressure, and why Islam is having more converts to it. Why? Because Islam actually stands upon the writings that were established through the Sadiths and through Muhammad. They actually do stand upon that. It's wrong, but they do believe in it literally. They follow it literally. And when it says in the Quran to cut off the ear, smite the fingertips, and behead, they do actually follow those commandments. They are insane, but they do follow them. Whereas we have the commandments, and we don't follow them. We actually have the true living Elohim, the one true Elohim, giving us commandments, and we don't follow it because we're saying, oh, they're principles that I can just think about in my mind. And we wonder why we're ineffective to go to war against the principalities that are overcoming not only this nation but the world. We have to be radicalized to the truth of Yahweh's word, which is faithfulness and keeping his commandments. It is concrete. First, the natural, and then you'll be enlightened for the spiritual, just like we teach our children. Let me continue on. I get so passionate, I'm into like two sentences of my notes. Sorry. But we understand that we're supposed to hear his voice. We're supposed to hear his voice and be the people of the sign, which of course is the Sabbath, which connects us to all of his feasts, his festivals, and his holy things. And if you can find Hanukkah in the Torah, I'll keep that too. But it doesn't exist. Again, so let's be excited about Torah, but let's really stick with what is in the Torah. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Right. The Levitical book of the law is what actually contains the added prescriptive, almost like we see the maintenancing or the tutorial because Israel couldn't even understand the covenant. So therefore, more restrictions were placed upon them because they were disobedient to the covenant. So now the Levitical priesthood 
places restrictions upon national Israel to tutor them. Learn these things because you weren't a steward with covenant. Now we're going to put you under maintenance, maintenancing tutorialship until the time of reformation when the Messiah would come. And this is first announced in Exodus chapter 24, 12. And we find this first coined phrase, book of the law, in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 21, which includes many multi-added additions. The book of the law was the thing that Paul spoke about when he said it was added for transgressions, the multiple transgressions that happened at the golden calf, Galatians 3.10 and 3.18. It was imposed. The book of the law was imposed. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10. We have to understand the difference between agreeing to something and something that is opposed upon you. They never did agree to the book of the law. It literally was do or die. Moses mediated it. They either died or it was imposed upon them and they had life. And, of course, we found out that it was imposed and they had life. Whereas we find that the book of the covenant was the promised inheritance, Galatians 3.18, through the seed, Galatians 3.19, to whosoever will. Whosoever will. Any of you that want to come into the priesthood, whosoever will, Luke 9.23, it's for you. Repent, be immersed in the name of the Messiah, and if you love him, Start by keeping the Ten Commandments at least, and then you'll get into the rest over time. Acts chapter 15 cements in that reality. You see, it's covenant faithfulness. We find that this added book of the law now in Exodus 24.12 is what brought the curses because there were no curses, plural, in the book of the covenant. There was one limited family curse that if you didn't honor your mother and father, then there would be a curse and that you wouldn't have long life. But all of the curses, plural, are in fact in the book of the law. But cursed is he who died on a tree that can connect you back to promise. Why would you want to go back to curses? Because the curses are outside the covenant as a witness against the covenant We find this in Deuteronomy chapter 31. So all of these things take time to marinate in your whole body, person, mind, and spirit. But it begins to ferment that you can now communicate it to people. I hope clearly as we spend this time and have spent this time over the past, what has it been, Brother John? Five, six weeks going through this. But really, I think many people, you deal a lot more with the communications, um, are really understanding and grasping this and starting fellowships and gathering people, which truly is exciting, truly is exciting. Let's continue on. The sanctification of the covenant will never equal, will never equal, and is in fact in opposite to the book of the law. Because you can never get the full sanctification through the book of the law. You ultimately are going to fall short because what? You are only going to get coverage for that year of sins. Whereas in the book of the covenant, you find full equality now and full redemption 
full atonement, enabling you to connect back to the promises of Yahweh. And that's what Yeshua accomplished for us. The book of the covenant is one of three specifically connected, designated covenants of promise. These are the covenants of promise, Ephesians 2.12. It's set apart. Romans chapter 7 verse 12 tells us that this covenant is holy, that it is spiritual, Romans 7.14 and James 2.12. And Yahweh designates this covenant as my covenant, my covenant, which is very important. Whereas the book of the law actually contained the enmity clause, the enmity clause, which is contained in ordinances. Ordinances are very different than laws contained in covenant. And we have to make that distinction. Ephesians 2.15, which also included the Hebrew 7.16 carnal commandments. The book of the law contains the carnal, carnal commandments. And that's why Paul says the law is not of faith. Because they didn't enter into the book of the law through faith, did they? It was imposed upon them. Whereas the Torah, which was covenant, was entered into through faith. Yes, all that you say we will do, Exodus 19.5. There's the distinction. So we're clearing up those law verses in the New Testament, understanding that the Apostle Paul knows what we know before we knew it, that there is a distinction and he juxtaposes the book of the law, which is against you, versus the book of the covenant, Torah, which is for you. I hope that makes sense. And we continue on. We find that the book of the covenant is the Sinai fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise, which was given 430 years later. Galatians 3.18. The book of the law was in fact, it was unknown to Abraham. It was unknown to Abraham. He didn't have a clue about the book of the law, and he had never met a Levite. Yet, he knew and did Yahweh's law, his Torah. He knew and did Yahweh's Torah. Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons of Israel, they themselves didn't know about the book of the law. We find that the book of the covenant relevance to the New Testament to counter the charge that you can't divide the laws shows the new covenant continually tells us that Abraham obeyed all my laws. All of them. Well, hang on a minute. How could he have obeyed all of Yahweh's laws if he didn't know the book of the law? I pose that as a question because we fast forward. We don't stop, pause, and think. How could have Abraham have obeyed all of Yahweh's laws if you're not allowed to divide and distinct between the book of the law and the book of the covenant, and you're not allowed to divide Torah. How? Genesis chapter 26 verse 5, could Abraham have obeyed all of Yahweh's laws? All of them. All of the laws contained in covenant 
not carnal ordinances that were imposed, never agreed to after breaking the covenant. That's how. Meaning there is a distinction between the book of the law and the book of the covenant. Covenant fidelity and infidels. (laughs) The book of the covenant, of course, was ratified in Exodus chapter 24, verse 7. And this is directly linked to Galatians 3.15 by Paul. It's amazing. There's no plus, there's no minus, there's no additions, there's no subtractions. It is blood ratified. The book of the law is added in Exodus 24.12, spoken of in Galatians 3.10 and 3.19. It was not received by the people until Exodus 32. When what? They never agreed to it, never consented to it. It was never ratified, but it was thrust upon them. Hebrews 9.10 includes that, and there's many later, multi-later editions found in Exodus 25, and of course Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There's the distinction between faith and no faith. The law of faith and the law of works. And that is the difference between the covenant, which is law of faith, and the book of the law, which is hard work, law of works, under the tutor, under the schoolmaster. We have the ark, of course, the ark of the covenant, which is quite telling itself, which inside there was placed the tablets, which were the hard copy of the covenant. And outside, in a pocket, Deuteronomy 31 tells us, the book of the law was placed as a witness against them because they broke the covenant. And the song of Moses was a witness against them because they broke the covenant. So this is very important. Again, we see that separation and that distinction. But that doesn't mean that they're synonymous. Because many years later, we find that Josiah, in fact, finds what? What does he find? He finds the scrolls and he finds the book of the law. If he found the book of the law which was placed outside of the covenant, do you think he'd find the covenant too? You see, because they are what? Geographically located together. But that does not mean a synonymous relationship that they're one. If you find one, you'd find the other. And therefore, when Josiah speaks about the book of the law and he speaks about the covenant, they found them housed where they should be housed, one outside of the other. Brings clarity when you understand the full scope of what has gone on beforehand. And I think that's the biggest problem with all of us. We didn't understand what went before. If you don't understand what went before, you can end up making many mistakes. Not only biblically, but we're finding in our nation now what? Historically. We're not listening to the history. We're not reading the history of the nations. And we're making the same, same mistakes. Side note, the first war that was ever fought in America under Thomas Jefferson was what? Wow. Um, The first war, you need to be back under the tutor, (laughs) was, of course, the war against Islam and the pirates of Tunisia. 
You see, that was the first war because we were unable to get our goods out of North Africa. They were being hijacked by pirates. So America's first war was against Islam. But we don't acknowledge that history. That's where the Marines were birthed. In fact, you actually have, it's in, I believe, in one of your songs, one of your many things you would do on the parade ground, actually taught on the seas of, what, Tripoli. Tripoli. Did I say Tunisia? Well, I meant Tripoli. You know, it begins with a T. It's around Africa. It's not the First World War. We understand that that which remains... Not replaces, but that which remains is more glorious. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. What remains? His Torah. But it's covenant Torah, and it is much more glorious than the law that was imposed. That's for you and I. The Abrahamic book of the covenant, or the Calvary new covenant, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Even Hebrews chapter 8 tells us that it is the new covenant that Jeremiah spoke about. This, again, is so much different than the book of the law, which was a ministry of condemnation. What was it condemning? It was condemning the sin of the golden calf. I mean, these verses within the New Testament, they are particularly phrased by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians, to the Galatians, to the Romans, to communicate to them that the Redeemer has come, that you are now able to come out from under the schoolmaster, not to lawlessness that the Council of Nicaea decreed in 325, heaven forbid, but you are now able to come out from the schoolmaster and come back under the Father's caring hand of royal covenant Torah. It's amazing, amazing. They overcame Satan, it says, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, testimony by the word of the covenant that is within you. Revelation 12.1. Remember that the blood of the Lamb is also the ratifying blood of the new covenant that we are now attached to. Yeshua's blood atonement is the prescriptive, excuse me, book of the law covering that atone for what? The covenant breaking that allows us to connect back to Genesis 12. His blood paid the death penalty position of the covenant between the pieces. And if you live as if it didn't, then that is really a sad, sad testimony, I believe, if you live as if it didn't. And many people are. Revelation 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of Yahweh and the faith of Yeshua. That is the book of the covenant. It truly is a narrow road, and it gets smaller and smaller, doesn't it, as you get pressed and squeezed and squashed. The new covenant commandments that we are to perform with faithfulness to the marriage covenant of Yeshua. Hebrews 8.6, he, Yeshua, is the mediator of a better, a better covenant, a better covenant which was established on much better promises, the promises given to Abraham, Abraham, the promise given to Abraham, Sinai, the promise given at Sinai, and ultimately the promise given by Yeshua at Calvary. 
These are all Melchizedek priesthood covenants. Hebrews 7.11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood. Exodus 40 verse 13. For under it the people received the law. Clearly the law, Exodus 24.12, in summation, was received after the book of the covenant's blood ratification in Exodus 24 verse 8. And after Abraham's covenant of Genesis 15. Clearly we find that, did I say Genesis 14 earlier? Am I getting my, am I getting my chapters? Better not be. It's a lot of information to disperse. I did say 14, didn't I? I meant 15. But those of you that have been tracking with me, give me some grace. Give me some grace. Because you know, otherwise we know how it goes, don't we, Brother John? We know how it... Calm down. All right. Facebook. <laughs> For under it, the book of the law, a people received the law. We understand that the book of the law was reconciled, Ephesians 2.16, at the point of the crucifixion and the blood ratification of the new covenant of Yeshua. Luke 22, Hebrews 8. We have now the Malkitzedic language that we are going to be seeing as we go into Hebrews Hebraically over the next few weeks. But I really want us all to understand that the Bible makes it clear. It truly does. That the sacrifices, those blood animal sacrifices, they were never part of the original book of the covenant. The Levitical blood animal sacrifices that would happen all the time, every Sabbath, every day. They were never part of the original book of the covenant that Yahweh wanted obeyed. The Levitical sacrifices were added simply because of the sin of the golden calf. They were so in debt that it paid for the debt, but it never paid the note. Does that make sense? It was to appease Yahweh's wrath because he wanted their blood. But in place of their blood, he set up a Levitical priesthood to slaughter animal blood until the death penalty position of the blood that was required. Some blood was required when they broke the covenant. Genesis chapter 15 tells you the covenant between the pieces. Blood was required. And if it's not going to be Israel's blood and genocide upon them all, and we'll start over afresh with Moses, the last stand in Melchizedek, then let's slaughter animals, slaughter animals, and have that blood pay the note, not pay the note, excuse me, pay off the interest until there will be the blood that will actually atone and enable you to connect back. So, really, it is an affront to Yeshua, animal sacrifices. It is an affront to Yeshua because you are in fact saying that his blood has not paid the note of Genesis 15 and doesn't connect you back to Genesis 12. It is an affront. I'll come out and say it. 
Simple as that. So you decide, knock yourself out, but um, so there. So there. Jeremiah 7, you better back that up. Jeremiah 7.22. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. He didn't. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, the voice from the mountain, Exodus 19, verse 4. If you'd obeyed that voice, you'd have been good to go. You would have been in royal covenant Torah. You would have been a nation of priests and your witness would have been great. Obey my voice and I will be your Elohim and you shall be my people and me. And walk in my ways that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear. But they followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts. And they went backwards. They didn't go forwards. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt, until this day, I have even sent you to all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did even worse than their fathers. The truth is that since Israel never would obey Yahweh, and they ended up making the golden calf, he implemented the animal sacrifices. Even though his plan, his plan was always that they would obey his voice and be in fidelity and covenant with him. And when the Bible speaks about a new covenant, Jeremiah 31 verse 31, it is referencing back to perfection, the book of the covenant. Let's not be deceived in these days as everything is slipping sideways. Let us not be deceived by the world telling us that the Anatonia fortress is the Temple Mount and that the Jews are Shemites when we see that Ashkenaz was a son of Japheth and that Israel is Biblical Israel, when biblical Israel consists of all 12 tribes. It's a political, religious, economic war that we're against. Because ultimately, that's the realm that Satan operates in. He's in control of the religions. He's in control of the false economy, the fiat currency. And he is what? What's that? And the politics. We all know that one. (laughs) Exactly. My goodness, what a crazy world that we live in. But let's not be deceived by those things. Let's not be deceived by religious talking heads. Because we should be looking where? Always looking to Yeshua, looking to the Mount of Olives. And we go outside the gates. And we walk in the book of the covenant. We partake in royal covenant Torah. And we have a right to eat from the altar of Yeshua. That they that are still inside, under the tutor, under mediation, and into the Levitical hierarchy and the animal sacrifices, they have no right to eat. Hebrews tells us this. 
And the last, the last word of admonition is this. In all of this, I do hope, I truly do, that people will listen to the calling of the Malkitetic priesthood. And we've got to put a stop to listening to those that make up the fake genealogy. Because it's serious. Paul says, give, do not give heed to endless and needless genealogies. Because the only blood that matters is the blood that paid the death penalty position that connects you back to Genesis 12. That's the only blood that matters. So beware of those that lay claim to fake genealogy. They may claim that they're Jewish, but we understand we are given that admonition in the book of Revelation that they that say that they are Jews but are not are in fact the synagogue of Satan. They're all part of this new world order clique and they want to make disciples after their own. But that doesn't even stop there. They then lie and pretend and tell you that they're actually what? Levites. Even though all the temple records were destroyed in 70 and nobody can connect their genealogy back. And then they lie even further and say, well, now we're even sons of Aaron. Do not pay heed to that because it's a stern warning. It's a stern warning because those that say that, it's truly a farce. It's truly a sham. And they should be ashamed. I hope in all this that we can encourage people that there is neither male or female, slave or free, but we're all one, equal footing in Messiah, that he is the ultimate one that is over us all and that we are in equality together with him. We all have different jobs, but we all have different functions, but together we are in equality with him. That is freedom to royal covenant Torah, that you will all be a kingdom of priests. Any questions, comments on that? I mean, I know that there was a lot um, to cover as far as the distinctions, but hopefully, by what we've spent the past prior weeks going over, that this brought that to conclusion for you as you study more. And I think as we go into the book of Hebrews, Hebraically, that you'll start to see again the wonderful, wonderful work of Messiah. Amen? AC, that's um, an electrical current. <laughs> I think. Um, I, yeah. So all of these priests that they're training right now with the, with the Temple Institute, none of them are really able to trace their no. blood to a priesthood. Everything was destroyed. All the temple records were destroyed in 70 of the Common Era. The rabbis have taken over. They took over in the second century. And um, basically, now everything is oral tradition or it's been written down through the Talmud, the Mishnah, and all of their writings, but that isn't established truth. 
Every, it was burnt to the ground. The records were destroyed. And the DNA thing, that's even been debunked by Jews themselves in the Jerusalem, um, from Jerusalem. They've even debunked that, just like carbon dating. I mean, so people that say, oh, well, my DNA, yeah, yeah, my DNA's a Viking for crying out loud. I mean, uh, it's retarded. It really is. (laughs) Yes. Any other questions? Civilized ones. We... I'll try and keep it civilized. Uh, we have three right now. Yes. Um, the first one being, um, were there animal sacrifices prior to the book of the law? How are these different? How are they different? Well, that's a very important question. Excellent question. I believe we'd have to go back to Exodus. Well, of course, we'd see Cain and Abel. But we can see that in Exodus chapter 23, if my mind serves me right. Exodus chapter 20, it didn't, verse 23. I knew the 23 was in there somewhere. So was there animal sacrifices back under the book of the covenant? Yes, in fact, there was the law of the altar. This is important to note. Under a Malkitzedic high priest, Adam was the first Malkitzedic, and his sons, Cain and Abel, operated under his high priestly authority. Moses was a Malkizedic high priest. And the law of the altar was done underneath his high priestly authority. We have the high priest Yeshua and animal sacrifices, any sacrifices would be done under his high priestly authority and instruction. And the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, In fact, the book of Hebrews clearly states that under his high priesthood, that he is the final sin sacrifice. He is the sacrifice, and now we are under his high priesthood. So if Yeshua comes back, when he comes back, if he was to say, go and slay an animal, then do it. But until you hear it from his words, or you can find a verse in the Brit Hadashah that says that you're to start doing that, you are under his instruction, which clearly tells us that the animal sacrifices, Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, are insufficient because we're under his high priesthood. It's all about the high priest that you're under. That's really what it's about. Our next question is... Wondering about Malachi 4.4, remember the Torah of Moshe. And I don't know if that's an exact quote from that verse, but it looks like it's Malachi 4.4. Malachi 4.4, remember the, what does it say? Yes. Remember the law of Moses. Um, So what's the question about that? I guess the question is, what about that? I mean, does that fit into this situation, and how does that fit into the Melchizedek understanding? Of well, the, the law of Moses, Moses was the one that was there that mediated the book of the covenant. That was the law. That was in function at that time. 
doesn't say remember the law of Aaron. If it said remember the law of Aaron, we'd be in trouble because that would be the book of the law. So there's a distinction between that which came before, which was covenant fidelity, law. It was still law. It's still law. It's covenant law, which was Moses mediated as the mediator of that law. Exodus 19, 5, 4, verse, um, all the way through 24, 11. Yeah, it's a great question, though. Next question is, wasn't the first sacrifice done for Adam and Eve? Wasn't the first sacrifice? Yahweh made them um, tunics of skin. So I would have to say that um, the Yahweh, well, Yahweh did make them tunics of skin, Yes. Exodus chapter 20, the oat, yes, oat, is the, is the mic off now, it got kicked off, is it off, is it on, green, green for go, it's not green. The question about the Levitical priesthood. So in, in, in the, the term Levitical priesthood doesn't appear until um, the book of Hebrews. In reality, it was an Aaronic. The sons of Aaron were the ones that were in the, were the high priests, but the Levites were the ones that were the servants of the high priests. So really, there is this, this relationship where they're working together. But to, to say that it's a Levitical priesthood, and then people, when they say Levitical priesthood, often think, well, yeah, the, the Levites were, you know, could be high priests, but they couldn't. That's why there was the rebellion of Korah, because Korah was a Levite, but he wasn't of the Aaronic line, and he wanted the priesthood. Ex, um, Numbers chapter 19, I believe. So, um, yes, we do need to make that distinction when we're really nailing it down. And the other question is, where does Sabbath appear? Well, that is in the covenant where it's given as the sign. And we know Sabbath even back in Bereshit, of course, it's the sign too. Genesis and the opening chapters of the, of the um, scriptures. So, yes. One final question, and I know we always get this question, and I know that it was in prior teachings as well, so I want to say that for the Internet audience. And that question is, what do you mean that death reigned from Adam to Moses? Death reigned from Adam to Moses. What that's talking about is it's talking about the whole of the function of the priesthood because we understand people still died after Moses. Of course they still died after Moses. It's speaking back to the first Melchizedek high priest, Adam, to Moshe, the last Melchizedek high priest, and then we have Yeshua as the final Melchizedek high priest. So it's really a a clarification of terms. It's talking about the first Melchizedek high priest, Adam, and the last... Melchizedek high priest Moses that was unblemished 
And that's why Yahweh could make a whole new nation out of Moses, because he was actually up on the mountain and the only one not a part of the golden calf sins. Amazing stuff, isn't it? So, Father Yahweh, we do thank you. We thank you, Father, that you had truly poured the light into our life, Saba. The light in our lives. I mean, I just want to say this on a, on, a, on a note, just for you guys to understand. 20 years ago, almost to this very day, 20 years ago, because I'm, I'm celebrating my 20th year wedding anniversary tomorrow, I was given a Bible. This is how amazing Yahweh is. 20 years ago, I was given the gift of a Bible for my wedding. Do you know what I did with that Bible? I threw it on the floor. I stamped on it and I danced around it mockingly. You know what Yahweh can do in 20 years? That's a miracle. That is a miracle. That's a miracle of redemption. I should have been struck down dead. It was given to me as a gift. I threw it on the floor, stood on it and danced around it and did a jig and sung a song mocking it. And I did know one verse. And it was how the woman was in submission to the man. (laughs) And I said that to my new bride. And I said, see, we don't want anything to do with this. And she's like, well, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to throw it away? And I was like, well... I don't think we can throw it away because when he comes around, he's going to see it's not here. Let's just put it down in the basement, right? So 20 years ago, I knew one verse, and I used that just like S.A. Tan used it, twisted it. Isn't that amazing? I praise Yahweh for his glory, for his mercy, and for his long-suffering. I truly do that my life will be a witness And that the word of my testimony would be the glorification of Yeshua. And I thank you, Abba, for the privilege, the privilege and the honor of your holy word that I now lay on my chest every morning. I lay on my chest every morning as I pray. I praise you, Yahweh, for your holiness and for your grace in Yeshua's name. Amen.